we are talking about taking ground. We have been talking about taking ground for a year and a bit now. And we are still talking about it. Now, for those of you who are here for the first time, hello, welcome, bless you, all of you. Um, if you want to kind of catch up on some context, all the previous stuff is all over our podcast. You can just kind of scroll back um, through and any of us can probably help you find that if you want to get some context. Um, if you have a Bible there, I want you to open to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to pick up there in just a second. But I want to continue to share this idea around taking ground. Last week we talked about the process of co-laboring with God to bring about heaven on earth. So we established the idea again uh, that it is our commission, it's our job to see what is in heaven and bring it down to earth and see it manifested in the earth realm. That is our assignment. When Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he showed us that the highest point of the will of God in any situation is on earth as it is in heaven. And therefore, the process of prayer is less about us down here on earth, begging God who, who, feel, who we feel like he is unwilling, begging him to do something here on earth, it's more about seeing the way things are in heaven, entering into an encounter with him around what, the way things are in heaven and then learning how to release that on earth. And when prayer is that, it is so much more fun. So much more fun than sitting there going, God, would you please, I beg of you, I beg of you. And you tell him all the reasons why he should do something when actually he's way more willing than we are. So if you missed that, grab last week's podcast. And I, I, I want to pick up and look at Taking ground in the context of spiritual warfare. So I want to do a little bit of an introduction to this thing called spiritual warfare. Simply because if you're going to take any ground that's worth taking, you're going to come up against some resistance. Pure and simple. If you're not experiencing any warfare at all, then either you are experienced extreme off-the-chart level victory and are walking in that, in which case, please come and lay hands on me and pray for me. Now... Or you're not taking enough ground. You're not actually pressing into anything that is worth resisting. And it is our mandate to bring heaven to earth. So let's start in Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to begin with the, the simple thought that should not be um, anything new to any of us, that we actually have an assignment. Every single one of us has been given an assignment by heaven to bring a certain aspect of heaven to a certain realm of the earth. Okay, we're not all called to bring all of heaven to all of the earth. Or we'd really get in each other's way <laughs> as we do that. Thank you, Steve, for smiling at that little... Yeah, that's good. Just grab that. Um, all of us carry a unique aspect of the character and nature of God and a unique aspect of the presence of heaven and we have a unique sphere or realm of authority where we are meant to release that and for all of us that's different. When all of us step up to our role it becomes like this massive orchestral concert that gives glory to God as we all play our part. If you go and see an orchestra where every instrument is playing exactly the same thing what that's called is a boring orchestra. It's just noise. It's, I mean, it might be a tune, but it's boring. When you've got a whole orchestra, there is a richness of sound that comes from the fact that instruments are playing different things, but all of them are working toward, you know, they're playing off the same sheet, as we often say. So Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. 
And then we're going to jump over to Ephesians 6 in a moment. And that is Galatians chapter 2, and I'm wondering why it didn't say what I thought it should say. Over a page, it's all good. So, simple verse. You will have all heard of this many times before. There's a pretty good chance. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Anyone never, ever heard that verse ever before? Didn't think so. Okay. So that word handiwork, it comes from the Greek word poema, where we would get our word poem. So if you were to, um, the one who delivers the poema is, in Greek, is either a performer or a poet. So in a sense, what that, that word handiwork is saying that you are God's poetic masterpiece. You are, um, and when a performer performs or a poet delivers a piece of poetry, what they are delivering is a creative expression of themselves. Yeah? So you being God's piece of poetry, you are a creative expression of who God is. That, that's like, that's really cool. You are, you are a poetic masterpiece. You are, you are, I can't seem to speak. Ah, oh, come out. Do you like that? Yeah, it was in tongues. Now we'll all just wait on the Lord for the interpretation. You, oh, yeah, okay. Order in the court, order. No. You are a creative expression of the creator. A masterpiece of his creation. And you have been given an assignment. And in that poetic masterpiece, you are perfectly crafted and created for that very thing. In other words, God didn't wire you and create you a certain way and then give you a destiny, a path to walk out, a sphere to take that is disconnected from who he has made you to be. He's actually a master designer. He's a master creator, a master builder even. Architectron, which is actually one of the words that come into what an apostle is, in fact, which is, anyway, I could get really sidetracked on that too. So we are God's poetic masterpiece. And then it says created in Christ. That word created has the sense of something that has never, ever been created before. It's not just I created this and then I created another one and then I created another one and then I created another one. It's, it's the essence of that which is created is absolutely unique. There has never been another one like it. So you are God's masterpiece, his poetic creation, his creative creation. I was about to say, can you have a non-creative creation? I've probably seen a lot of them, actually. Um, but you are his creative masterpiece that is created absolutely unique. There is not another one like you who is created in Christ to do good works, which he prepared in advance. So the essence is he has created you. He's created something which has not existed before and then he has gone ahead into your future and he has prepared and paved a way for you so that when you show up, it is custom designed for what you carry and what you bring. That's pretty cool. 
There is, in other words, there is territory for you to take, but the good news is he's already gone ahead of you into that territory. He's wired you perfectly for the job so that all you have to do is be you. <laughs> that, that sounds easier than it often is, but that, that's, that's an Elijah House deal right there. <laughs> Go to that. He's created in advance for you to do so that when you show up, all you have to do is be you and you'll reflect the character and nature of him that is in you in that place. Now, that sounds great. You've given an assignment. You've been given ground to take. And you are perfectly and uniquely wired to take that ground. No one else could take the ground that you're going to take because they're not wired like you. This is what absolutely kills jealousy and competition in the body of Christ because there's nothing to compare or compete against. There, if there's something to compare or compete against, then two of us are the same. And if two of us are the same, one of us is unnecessary. And God doesn't create junk. He doesn't create unneeded stuff in terms of us humans. I think on earth he's created just because he can. Giraffes, like what the heck? You know, like... I mean, they're, 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 I think they're just there for entertainment, personally. As are cats. Cats are there for entertainment, too. But in terms of you, there's nothing created that is superfluous. Did I get that word right? I always get that word right. Superfluous. But here's the thing. He's given you territory to take. But here's the deal. There are currently giants in that territory babysitting it for you. The only reason you need to take the territory is because it's being stewarded by demons right now. And you are perfectly wired to displace those demons from whatever that territory is that you're created for. But you need to understand that they're there and you need to know what to do with them. Or you may get your beautifully creative butt kicked. That's, that's my way of saying it. So the taking of the promised land in the Old Testament is one of the clearest pictures of the people of God actually taking ground, taking destiny-related ground. And ultimately, I don't remember if we talked about this last week or not, ultimately the end game is that the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. That's the end game. And the, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. That's the end game. We've got a patch of that somewhere as does everybody around you. But God promised the children of Israel the promised land. He said, yeah, that's why it's called the promised land, because it was promised to them, and I'm stating the obvious. But as they go to take the promised land, they suddenly find there's some really, really big dudes in there. The sons of Anak, the Nephilim. Yeah, the, the Nephilim, Adrian's not here this week, but if Adrian was here in the moment, the mention of that, he could go into a whole history of how those things came about and what they were. But um, essentially, this is so not important, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, the Nephilim are rumoured to be, when you read early in Genesis, when the sons, when the, when the daughters of God lay with... Basically, bad demons and humans had a very physical relationship and produced these enormous, quite demonised humans. And these were the things that were filling the land that was called the promised land. It's like, hey, God, thanks for the land. This is awesome. Let's go take it. Oh, you didn't tell us about them. All right. 
So when Caleb and Joshua go in to spy out the land with the 10 other spies, the 10 other spies absolutely lose their their stuff in their trousers as they see the size of the enemy that is in the land that they are promised. And they go, we can't do it. Let's get, the heck, let's get the heck out of here. And it was only Joshua and Caleb that said, they're so big, we can't miss. Let's go. <laughs> that's what David did with Goliath. Everyone else is going, that's so big, we can't. He's going, this is so big, we can't miss. Boom. Nails him right there. So there are giants in your land currently occupied by an enemy. So if we are going to take ground, we are going to face resistance. Last week, we need to learn how to pray, how to co-labor. This week, how do we deal with the resistance as we do that? So let's jump over to Ephesians chapter 6. Knowing what we're building on the foundation here is you are perfectly wired by God. He's gone ahead into your future and prepared the way such that when you show up, it's absolutely perfectly created for what you carry. But then when we get there, there's some big dudes and dudesses there that are going to be pretty cranky that you've showed up. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And again, this will be a fairly familiar passage. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So this is where we get introduced to the battleground and the nature of the battle. Now, if we were to do the whole book of Ephesians, and it's, it's my favorite New Testament book because this is a church that took a whole city. And it was some acts of pretty ferocious spiritual warfare that caused this city to be taken. So the city of Ephesians is where the temple of the goddess Diana or Artemis, depending on which language you're talking about, was, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And this was a pretty bad place. They did lots and lots of bad things. And the temple of Diana was essentially um, also controlling the entire economy of the city. So if you look at Acts chapter 19, you see the story of where Paul kind of goes in and takes this thing on um, and eventually wins a quite incredible battle involving the whole city bringing all of their magical and witchcraft paraphernalia into the middle of the city and then burning it in this massive bonfire to say we're renouncing the ways of Diana and we are declaring that Jesus is Lord of our city. And this is not in scripture, but history tells us that the most likely thing that happened, because if you go over to, um, to Turkey right now, modern day Turkey, where that was, you will find basically one stone left of that particular temple. And some of the historic stories said that it was the Apostle John that actually walked into the temple, walked right up to the altar and just said the words, I put thee to flight and the whole temple literally collapsed around him. And now there is literally just one stone left of that. Phil Mason was over there um, a few months back and I said, you've got to FaceTime me from the temple. And he's like, literally, it's just like a rock. It's one rock. I mean, good, (laughs) that thing's gone. So this was a city, so talking to the people at Ephesus, they knew what spiritual warfare was about because they had seen their whole city turn from occultic goddess witchcraft worship over to see Jesus being Lord of their city. And so Paul is basically saying to them, hey, you understand a battle, now let me talk to you about how to walk this. So he says, 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That word scheme, Greek word methodeia, in other words, his methods, his, um, it literally means following of an orderly or technical procedure. In other words, the enemy has patterns, systems, methods of operation that we need to learn to take a stand against. And then he says, for our struggle, that word struggle, um, it's a wrestling term involving hand-to-hand combat. And this city would have been very familiar with that because if you follow the history back, the, um, I'm not going to get the word right because it's in tongues, like the Isthmian. Can you say it? <laughs> yeah, the Isthmian. There were these ancient games like our modern-day Olympics. Um, and one of the most popular sports was wrestling. And so they were very familiar. And if you walked around old day, and I think that some of them are still there now, some of the plaques talk about um, some of their heroes who were wrestling champions, and it uses exactly the same word there. So he's talking essentially about this, this hand-to-hand combat. It literally means intense force against or strong opposition to. So he said, when you're facing intense opposition, force coming against you, he's saying your battle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, it's not against the humans. It may show up through them, but that's not who your battle is against. Now, let's also keep in mind, if you go back to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27, Paul says, don't give the devil a foothold. Remember, in the context of taking ground, this is about holding and advancing ground. And just two chapters before, he's talked about don't give the devil any ground by letting the sun go down on your anger and speaking harshly to one another. So this whole thing is in the context of taking ground. Now he says, our battle is against principalities, powers, rulers, and authorities. And he's talked about the devil beforehand. And what he doesn't do, I'm going to put a slide up here if you're wondering why I'm not actually finishing just yet, in case any of you are getting a little too excited. Um, I will finish soon, but not just yet. (laughs) This is the beginning of the end. It's a long end, but it's the beginning of the end. Um, he, said, he talks about the devil and then principalities, powers, rules, and authorities. Now, a lot of people would seek to go, okay, what are the principalities? What are the powers? What are the rules? What are the authorities? But Paul doesn't give us any different strategy for dealing with any of the different categories. So to me, he's grouping them all in one category and says, this is, this is essentially how you kick their butt. Now, when he talks about the heavenly realms, this is what the realm we often call, is that right in your way? That was good. So you couldn't see a thing? Yeah. Um, This is the realm that we call the second heaven. So what I want to do is give you a really quick tour of what do we mean by the second heaven? What are the heavens? Which heaven's which and what's what? The first heaven is what we would call simply the heavens and the earth. It's the manifested or the seen realm. So when we look at the sky and we see the heavens, that's, that's the first heaven. Simple enough? It's the physical realm. It's, it's the manifested or, or the seen realm. Then we have the third heaven. The third heaven is essentially the throne room of God. It is where God lives, where God exists. So when Paul talks in Corinthians about, I knew a man once who was caught up to the third heaven and saw things inexpressible, he's talking about being caught up into the very throne room of God. That's the third heaven. 
And then when Paul talks about the heavenlies, and I think six times in the book of Ephesians, he uses this phrase, the heavenlies. He's talking about, this, it's the realm of the spirit. It's the unseen realm. This is where angels and demons do their thing. That, that's the second heaven or that which Paul calls the heavenlies. Our job, if we remember from last week, is to take what's here in the third heaven and see it manifested in the earth realm. That's our job. The battleground to do that is actually here in the second heaven. As we try and get what's here down here, it comes through here. That is the battleground. It's not flesh and blood. Now, there are numerous stories, including in the book of Daniel, where we can talk about, um, you know, the word was released, but I was held up by the prince of Persia, which was a territorial spirit governing an area. What do we know about particularly the first and second heaven? And, where, and of course, the second heaven is where the principalities, powers, rules and authorities do their stuff. That's where they exist. Well, we know on earth, Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. In other words, Jesus is saying, I have all authority. And in saying go, he's actually commissioning us with that very authority to go and make disciples of nations. And interestingly, that's not people in nations. That's actually nations. That's another message. But we'll get to that one day. So if Jesus has all authority, there's somebody else that has none. And who might that be? Satan. Satan. I heard this week, he prefers to be called Satan. <laughs> it was some stupid skit or something like that, was it? It's from, yeah, some stupid movie anyway. I thought that was really, really funny. Um, so if Jesus has all authority, that means the enemy has none. But does the enemy still do stuff on earth? Yes. yes, that's not a trick question. So how on earth does that happen? I hear you ask. But, but let's add a little bit of fuel to the fire for a moment. So in heaven and on earth, and we're talking in the physical manifested realm, all authority was given to Jesus, which means the enemy has none because that was defeated at the cross. Then we also read in Colossians chapter 2, that Jesus disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That's in the second heaven. Uh, if you read Eugene Peterson's version of that, um, which is called The Message, he says, um, he made a public spectacle of them and marched them naked through the streets. I just love it. It's like, in other words, he absolutely humiliated them by defeating them on a cross. So we've got all authority here in the first heaven and in the second heaven, the principalities and powers have been absolutely disarmed, shamed. They've got nothing. So the question there is, how are they still able to operate? Where do they get their authority from? They get it from people like us. They have to get it from the people that have the authority. I'll come to that in a second. In other words, they have to get it by getting the agreement of those with authority to come into agreement with their kingdom so that they use our authority to enact their agenda. 
Does that make sense? So they have to trick us, make us deceive us, make us believe lies so that we come into agreement with their agenda and then they have authority to operate. The other way is we just remain absent from a territory and then they can just do what they want because there's just, there's no resistance. Little, um, there's a rule in the US, I think it is, called squatter's rights. And, and the basic rule is that if a person lives uncontested on a particular property for, I think, is it 10 years or something like that? Then it's in the UK. Thank you. We have it here too. We have it here too? Yeah, someone, a developer did that in Sydney. I actually know of someone who had the same thing happen and they ended up taking over the because no one ever claimed it. And basically, is if you are there for longer than a period of time, I think it was 10 years, something like that, then that's where the whole possession is nine-tenths of the law statement comes from, then you get to keep it. And the enemy is squatting on so many pieces of territory because people like me who are perfectly created to take that territory haven't actually gone in and taken it on. Often because we're just a tad addicted to our own comfort and we don't like the resistance that comes when we step up to battle. The what, sorry? 12 years in New South Wales. 12 years in New South Wales, thank you. Isn't it Google wonderful? We can actually get real-time data coming in. So, the way that he gets his authority is from you and me, from the people of God. And it's not just you and me, but from, if you look right across the church and the landscape, even just of the Western church, let alone if you go anywhere else, there is lots of trippy stuff that we believe in the Western church that actually disempowers the work of the kingdom and allows the enemy to kind of take a holiday in the Bahamas while we do his work for him. Not that the Bahamas is a particularly bad place, but anyway. Now, two kinds of warfare that I talk about. Ground-level warfare is essentially when we drive demons out of people. And this is where we have... Did I get this in the right order? No, of course not. Individual authority. So the authority on the first heaven to drive stuff out of individuals is given to an individual. You see a demon manifesting, you have authority to deal with that. When we're talking what I call strategic level warfare, this is over regions and over realms. So region could be as in a geographical region, like Australia, like Rouse Hill, even the city of Sydney. There are different spots where different principalities have authority. And if you drive around Sydney, you will notice it feels different in different places because of the spiritual authority. So even if you cross the border, which is Windsor Road, into Blacktown City, there is a different feel in Hillshire to Blacktownshire because there are different authority structures in place and therefore different agreements in alignments because the spiritual realm honours the natural boundaries. Realms. Realms like the media, for example. Realms like government. When we're talking realms, where we're talking collective, it's a different kind of authority and authority for that is given to the church, not to the individual. So when you see an individual trying to take on territorial um, or collective spirits, they usually get their butts kicked because they're stepping outside their metron of authority. It's dangerous stuff. You don't take that, on, that stuff on, on lightheartedly because it has authority there because of agreement, often long-term agreements that go way back. And in this area, um, there is a huge amount of history in this very area. The monument to the Battle of Vinegar Hill is literally just across the road over there. 
There was some pretty serious death that happened through that. Therefore, lots of blood on the land, lots of agreements in spirit that empower the enemy. Now, if we're going to untangle that and see this place become a thin place, there's a significant prayer effort required united with the key spiritual gatekeepers, which is exactly what Deb is up to right now. And then our house floods. We'll get to that in a moment. (laughs) Yes. Um, Is this making sense? Okay, so here's the thing. If you are attempting to take ground, there will be resistance. It's just the way it is because there are demons currently stewarding your territory. There will be resistance. Now, not only that, here's the thing. We read in the parable of the sower. Matthew's account says this, that it talks about one of the the kinds of soil. It says the seed is the word of God. And that word literally means um, kingdom word. We've always thought of it as as the gospel message. It literally means kingdom word, which is just as much applicable to an individual prophetic word as it is the message of the gospel. And then it says when persecution comes because of the word, in other words, if you've got a prof- how many of you have had a prophetic word over your life released over you about awesome stuff and then the very next day everything goes to pot? Is that just me or has anyone else experienced that? Yeah. Because it says then when persecution comes because of the word, they couldn't stand up under it. So when a prophetic word is released that is related to your destiny, when God speaks to you about that territory you are to take, that very word, great news, isn't it? We never preach this in destiny messages. That, that, that very word actually attracts persecution. Now, two things happen with the persecution if we stand up under it. One is it flushes out the enemy that's assigned to that territory so he can get a shot at it. But it also builds a character in you to stand up against that resistance that means you can hold the weight of glory that comes upon you once you take that territory. While we hate it, it's actually good for us because it builds something in us that allows us to carry the weight of what we're meant to carry. So, taking territory involves taking what's here, and pressing the wrong button. (laughs) That really presses my buttons. I know, I'm experiencing resistance right here, right now. It's building character in me, that's right. You got it, sister, preach it. (laughs) Okay, so if we are going to take what's here and bring it here, we're going to experience resistance. So what do we need to be able to do to take territory? In order for that spiritual warfare to not take us out, we need to look at our agreements and our alignments because the enemy only gets authority when we agree with his kingdom. So if there is an, if there, this is one of the things I always ask, if there is a spiritual attack in some way that's prospering in my life and really having an ongoing effect, rather than continually standing up and rebuking the enemy, I step back into the presence of God and go, okay, God, show me where I'm believing a lie. 
Show me where somewhere this attack has been allowed to work. Because scripture says a curse without cause cannot stand. So if a curse, warfare coming against me is prevailing and winning, there's something in me that it has authority to hook into. And sometimes the enemy won't touch us in certain areas until we cross a line. And then we cross over a line and it's like everything breaks loose. It's because he's like, well, you can go that far, but the moment you step over there, I'm going to let loose on you. But God uses that to surface stuff so that we can walk into a greater level of freedom, which means a greater level of stomping on the enemy's head, putting our foot on his throat and going, ha ha, we win. Now, I don't say that to be flippant. I just say that to demonstrate victory. We need to look at our agreements and our alignments. And we need to get filled with power. See, victory over the enemy comes from two things, authority and power. Both are required. So if you think of a policeman, authority is their badge. They flick their badge at you and say, come with me. And if you don't do what they say, the full weight of that, that is behind that badge will come down upon you. That's authority. Power is the ability to carry out, which is their gun. Now, in London, this is one of the stupid things, and this happened in one of the terrorist attacks, where the police actually don't carry guns. So they had authority, but they had no power to stop what was happening because they literally had no firepower. They could go, stop, in the name of the Lord. In the name of the law, I mean. <laughs> they could, it would have been better to do the former. <laughs> so in the name of the law. Um, and all the terrorists who have no respect for that authority do is go, boom, okay, next. <laughs> So we need both authority and power. Authority says we have the legal right to tell the enemy where to go. And because that authority comes from a higher authority, that authority will back us when we say that. But to enforce the authority, we need power. Authority comes through alignment and agreement. Power comes through Acts 1.8. You will receive power, dunamis, Greek word, explosive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. That word witnesses incidentally means, it's a forensic term that means there'll be enough evidence to convict you guilty of being a follower of Jesus because of the power, not just because of your moral behavior, because of the power. If we're going to take ground, it requires us knowing our authority Watch your agreements and alignments. You know, Bill Johnson often says, you cannot afford to have a thought in your head about you that's not in his head. Because when you have a thought about yourself in your head that's not in his head, the enemy can trip in on that and he's got a hook to pull you down. His name is accuser. It's what he's really good at. And we need power. Let me give you a couple of quick examples of um, some, some warfare situations. Um, Deb and I had just finished, this is a number of years back, Deb and I had finished doing a deliverance session um, with a married couple and it was literally one of those, you know, demons came out, whole lot of freedom, really cool thing, you know, glass of red wine afterwards, yes, yay Jesus. Next day, I don't know if you remember this, next day we are just at each other. We are like cranky, we're like, and of course I was right. <laughs> 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 and that's where the deception was, right there, that gave the enemy the hook. Anyway, um, we were at each other, and, we were, and then 
there was this one moment, I can't remember which one of us stopped and said it, was, is it, it would have been her, yeah, no, no, um, said, is it possible this is an attack because of what happened last night? And the moment we named it, it's like it lifted, and all of a sudden we weren't so cranky anymore because we recognised the attack. Up until then, we'd been blindsided as a counterattack because we'd taken ground in this particular relationship. It was now coming against our relationship because it was cranky. The moment we recognised it, we told it where to go and we were all of a sudden happy again. Even though the thing is, when you're in the middle of it, it's almost like you don't want it to lift because I'm so cranky. That's, that's... <laughs> we both said that. I don't know if you remember that. I have the recording. Um, so I, I remember when we, we, we bought our first house down in Dundas. It was a townhouse. And uh, we weren't married yet, and I, don't, I, hadn't moved into the, I hadn't moved into it yet. Um, we were in the process of doing that, but we had, you know, the contract was signed. It was our property. And I remember turning up to Deb's place just grumpy, and you know, this seems to be a common theme of me being grumpy and cranky, isn't it? Anyway, anyone do deliverance after? Anyway, um, and I was just cranky, I was grumpy, I was like, just, you know, completely uninspired about just about everything. And Deb gets in the car and is like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, plenty, you know, <laughs> there is plenty wrong with me right now. Um, and again, I can't remember which one of us said, is it possible this is an attack? And straight away, this picture flashed across my mind of this demonic figure that was basically this walking skeleton um, wearing this kind of red king's coat. Like, do skeletons wear clothes? I don't know, but this one was. You know, walking around out the front of the property. I'm like, oh, there is actually a demon attached territorially to that property and now that we've taken it on and we own that property and we haven't told it to go it's going for us so right then we stopped we took authority over that property we told that thing to go and literally like that I don't know if you remember this it was out the front of the house at West Pennant Hills don't remember that one either I remember it very clearly like literally yeah thanks man yeah literally from one second to the next one second, I was cranky as heck. Literally the next minute, I, it was like someone had opened the windows and let oxygen into a car that was filled with... <laughs> That's what I was thinking, but I didn't want to say it on the recording. <laughs> literally from one second to the next, it's like the air cleared. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is so much better. Literally because we'd come under attack because we were in the process of taking a new piece of ter physical territory um, in that particular instance. Um, I remember getting slammed at, um, I was up in Lura, this is going back many years, in our first ministry, um, we were doing a lot of prayer over our region and we were working on, you know, connections with the other churches around that. And I was up in Lura, I was actually on holidays, so my guard was down, I wasn't thinking anything particularly spiritual. I was staying in a caravan park in Lura and I was eating my breakfast, which at that stage was a meat pie and a can of Coke. I was 20, 22, 23 years old, I think, at the time. Um, it was where we used to stay for Katuba Youth Convention. It was that caravan park. And um, I was sitting there eating my meat pie and a can of Coke, had my Bible out, and the more I read my Bible, the more this depression just came over me. And it was almost overwhelming to the point where um, my feelings and thoughts were heading into kind of suicidal territory. Like, and that's not me. That's... that's you know, I've had moments in my life going way back where 
you know, that may have been an issue, but at this stage in my life, that was not something. But I was just like, I was in seriously, seriously bad space. And I just thought, oh man, you know, I need more of a holiday. I need to make sure I have more time off. Anyway, I left the territory, went and visited some family out at Bathurst or Orange somewhere. And I didn't kind of think of it much after that because obviously I'd left the territory and it stopped. Um, I came back to work and I got together with one of my intercessors and I had this strange experience up in Lura and described what happened. I said, I'm there with my meat pie and my can of Coke. And she's thinking, well, there's your problem right there. <laughs> there's no way I could do that these days. Um, and I said, and the more I read the Bible and the more I prayed, the worse it got. And she's looking at me, and this is you know, a pretty gifted intercessor. And she's looking at me going, are you seeing what's happening here? I'm like, no. <laughs> Typical guy, I had no idea. And she's like, okay, what do you know about the area up there? Oh, it's filled with witchcraft. What do you know about what we're fighting here? It's really, oh. All of a sudden, the light switches on. We tell that thing where to go. I come back into alignment with the king. Because when you start feeling feelings like that and you go, I'm feeling that way, you're actually coming into agreement because you're owning the feeling the demon is trying to put on you. And when you own the feeling, you come into agreement with it and you empower it. And empowering a territorial witchcraft spirit is a really bad idea. It makes you feel terrible. Just a little clue. Just a clue. You can have that one for free. It wasn't in my notes. Um, (laughs) Just as we have begun, I think, to take ground in terms of this realm, our house starts to flood. Now, interestingly, our house flooded a couple of weeks back. And then... um, when I came home from church that night, you all prayed for us that day, which was really cool. Thank you. <laughs> thoroughly, thoroughly ministered to us. It was really awesome. Came home, and most of you know our house, you know, driving across the front grate, and I noticed there's water absolutely pouring from next door all the way down the path, and the grass is getting really soggy and full of water. And, like, there is lots of water flowing down, and I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. So I thought, you know, maybe the, the, the neighbours had the sprinklers on. And anyway, I went and looked, and what had happened was one of the kids next door had been washing the car and, um, you know, those spray gun things that had been switched off, but he didn't switch the tap off. The thing popped off and the hose was just, you know, (laughs) everywhere. And it was all flowing down into our house. And I'm like, that is twice in one day. That's a little bit interesting. So I just took note because when something similar happens more than once, I often think, okay, what's going on? Monday night, just gone, before, we, uh, before Deb and I went off to um, hang with the Heart Revolution. Went great, by the way. Thanks for asking. Um, it was awesome. <laughs> Absolutely great week. Mission accomplished, very much. Monday night, um, I'm under the house with Daniel. We're looking for something. Cannot find it. So Daniel says, I'm just going to go sit on the couch out here and I'm going to ask God for a word of knowledge as to where it is. Now, he actually has quite a history of getting it right. It's quite amazing. Anytime I lose something, that's the first place I go. As I ask him, he prays for it. We usually find it. It's pretty awesome. Makes me wonder if I'm actually saved, but that's another story. <laughs> Lay hands on your father, son. You know? um, anyway, he goes to sit down on the couch. He says, hey, Dad, there's water pouring down the wall. Is that, is that supposed to be happening? Like inside. Like, is that supposed to be happening? I'm like... No, really, no. Let me just come and check that out. So I had the sprinkler on over the back grass and I had it in a place that I'd never had it before and for some reason it was shooting up the window and the window had wood over it because it's where I do my video stuff and make it dark. Somehow it had squeaked its way through there and was pouring in around all my electrical gear that was on the floor. Now, thankfully, because Daniel went out to pray, he got it early and it only wet a little bit of area and I pulled up the things the next morning, stuck them out in the sun and they were dry in, you know, half an hour. and All was fine. 
But it was one of those moments of like, that's three times. Now that water is flooding over into our property in a way that is probably not particularly welcome. So when we were up at Heart Rev, I put it out to um, our gang who are all very prophetic and just said, this is a little bit trippy. We've got words about floodgates over our life, but not this kind. <laughs> this, is, this is ridiculous. And one of the pastors, Chris McRae, dear friend of ours, just said, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord raises up a standard against that shifted my faith in that moment to go, okay, yes. Because if this was a God flood, it wouldn't be destroying everything. It would be a blessing. It would be making us happy. This, this stuff hasn't been making us happy. Okay, It's been <laughs> deeply, deeply frustrating. And then to have it at like a third time, I'm like, this is a little too much. But as soon as we got the word of the Lord, it's like, okay, there is warfare going on. We, we as a community, we've stepped it up a notch. We're taking more ground in worship. We're taking ground um, in the spirit in our area as we start connecting with the other churches and, and knitting hearts with them and praying for, for God to touch our city. As we're doing that, the enemy's going, ooh, I don't like that. And we had this sudden revelation the other day, I think the enemy wants us out of this region. And we're like, ah, not a chance, no way. But what we have now is a promise to stand against it where instead of coming, instead of walking around going, well, I wonder what's going to flood next, which would be really, really dumb because that would be agreeing with the enemy's strategy. We're now going, when we see that, we know the Lord is raising up a standard against whatever the enemy is flowing because that's what he's like. Because see, he has won the victory in these realms and what it takes is for us to step into alignment and agreement with his victory, receive his power, and then let's go take ground. Let's stand. One of the keys in this realm is that physical obedience brings spiritual release. Sometimes there are prophetic acts, rather than just prophetic words, but prophetic acts that God asks you to do in order to take ground. If you feel the Spirit prompting you to do something physical, listen. Because that physical act is an agreement in the physical manifested realm with what heaven is saying. And because God is in us, it bypasses, it comes straight through this realm, straight to us, like an encrypted channel, straight through the second heaven, straight into us and releases it on the earth. This is why Bill Johnson says, every believer lives under an open heaven because God came down through and is resident in us down here. That's good news, in case any of you missed that. That's, that. that's really good news. So what I want to pray for us is, firstly, that God would surface and reveal anywhere in our life where we have agreements and alignments with the wrong kingdom. Just let him talk them to you. Don't, you don't have to go digging. Don't have to go on a witch hunt, no pun intended. Just if he talks to you about it, listen and respond. And then we're just going to pray for fresh and continued fresh outpourings of power on us. We don't want to be like the cops who have got an awesome badge but no gun. Okay? We need authority and power. So Jesus, we recognize that you have won the victory. We recognize that on the cross you made a public spectacle of the enemy. 
And we know that you've given us ground to take. We know that there are giants in the land, but we know that you have already given us power and authority over those giants that are in our territory. And so right now, we align ourselves with the truth that we are your children, that we stand in full authority, and that nothing that the enemy can throw at us can have any power, can have any authority without our permission. So God, if there are any agreements, if there are any alignments in us, particularly around our beliefs about ourselves and our beliefs about our destiny and our beliefs about who you are, if there are any lies that we are believing in those realms, we give you permission to reveal them to us. If any of those lies are bearing fruit in our world, we give you permission to show us if there's anywhere where the enemy is just squatting on our territory and living there unchallenged and barking accusation at us simply because we've never stood in our authority and told it to get out, we give you permission to reveal it to us. And God, we declare we are a people who take ground. We say yes to your commission to bring heaven to earth in the realm that you have created us for. And we just celebrate, we rejoice because you have the victory, you have given us the victory, and everything has been placed under your feet. So God, fill us with power afresh. Every morning as we awake, would you fill us with power afresh? Fill us with power afresh. Baptize us afresh in your Holy Spirit. We wouldn't just be nice churchgoers, but we would be people filled with Christ, the anointed one, filled with his resurrection power and releasing it into the realms where you've given us authority. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. amen.